Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Wix Studio. Designers and devs, you might be able to do your thing better on Wix Studio, a web platform with everything you need to deliver bespoke sites hyper-efficiently. Design teams get a ton of smart features that can take the grind out of web creation without it costing per-pixel control. Dev teams, you get a zero-setup, developer-first environment, combined with an AI code assistant and your preferred IDE for rapid deployment. Search Wix Studio today to explore the full range of features. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Neelai Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. We've got another great conversation from the Code Conference in the feed today. This time it's my chat with Getty Images CEO, Craig Peters. Getty is one of the most important photography services in the world. And as you might imagine, Craig and I talked quite a bit about the promise and peril of generative AI when it comes to photography. Craig was great on stage at Code. He is direct and no nonsense about what AI can and can't do. And I gotta say, we got right into it. About a year ago, Getty banned users from uploading or selling AI-generated content. At the same time, the company said it was concerned about copyright issues in AI, and eventually the company sued Stability AI for training the Stable Diffusion tool on Getty's photos. At times, Stable Diffusion was even generating Getty watermarks on its images. But Craig doesn't want to completely stop AI from happening. Just before code, the company announced Generative AI by Getty Images, a tool which generates pretty solid AI photography of its own. Getty trained the tool itself using images it already had the rights to, and it's put up some pretty strict guardrails about what it can do. It certainly cannot generate any images of known celebrities. What's more, Getty's come up with a way to compensate photographers whose images are being used to generate photos, which is pretty interesting and pretty complicated. I had early access to this new Getty tool, and we had some fun coming up with prompts to show the code audience. I encourage you to watch the video of this episode, which is available on the Verge YouTube channel, so you can take a look at some of these images we're talking about. They're pretty fun. You'll hear Craig talk a lot not just about copyright issues, but about what people are really talking about when they talk about intellectual property, money. What does compensation for being part of an AI training set look like? How can you distribute that money fairly? We also talked about the other elephant in the room when it comes to AI, deepfakes and disinformation. Getty has a long history as a repository of significant, important, and most importantly, real photos of people and events. The 2024 US election is barreling towards us quickly, and Craig told us that while Getty doesn't yet have a perfect solution for disinformation in the election, the date isn't moving, and he's working with both partners and competitors to race against the clock to make sure authentic images are the ones people see. Okay, Craig Peters, CEO of Getty Images. Here we go. You and I have been chatting since we first started talking about doing code. There's a lot to talk about. We should start with the news, though. 
because I think a lot of people expected you to show up, rail against the, the taking of content by AI, but you actually announced an AI tool this week. We did. We did. We launched it uh, on Monday after coming out of Alpha. We launched that in partnership with NVIDIA. So we partnered up with them and, and their capabilities to launch what we think is a pretty unique tool, a tool that uh, first off respects the IP that it was trained upon. Uh, so it's permissioned, uh, it's trained only off of Getty Images creative content. We are providing rewards back to the creators of that content. Uh, so as we grow revenues from, from this service, those creators are, are rewarded uh, for their contributions to the tool. It's entirely commercially safe. So uh, it can't not produce third-party intellectual property. It cannot produce deep fakes. So it doesn't know what the Pope is. It doesn't know <laughs> what Valencia is and can't produce a, a merging of the two. And, uh, and we think for version one, the quality is quite remarkable because obviously we're a big believer that, that quality in gives you a you know, yeah. better outcome. Craig very boldly allowed me access to this tool. I told him what prompts I was going to use, but I didn't show him the results. So here's the first one I put up. This is a tool. It is fun to use. The well-dressed and influential attendees enjoying the code conference. Fancy hotel ballroom. I will say I said in the Ritz-Carlton, and it wouldn't let me do it because I think it thinks Ritz-Carlton is a very fussy name for some human being. Wide-angle strength crowd. So here's the result. Here's all of you. You look great. Very excited. I asked it to do it again, and I think next year we're going to have you all sit on the floor on the round. Pretty good. Uh, so then I thought I should do something on the news cycle. Famous pop star and Super Bowl winning tight end, holding hands in a convertible. I think you all know where this is going. It's obviously Zac Efron having a time in his life. Now, to be fair, I did not specify gender, sexuality, ethnicity, anything. This is a reasonable result for this query, in my opinion. And again, Zac and Mercedes Lewis look great. And then here, I asked it to do it again. This is great. This is more or less what Travis and <laughs> Taylor look like. I don't know why she's wearing pads, but it's good. And then lastly, there's the image that I personally really wanted, which is the CEO of a major car company running away from our conference. Here's Mary, <laughs> security guard, looking good. These are remarkable results, right? There's the sort of AI problems. You, you pay too much attention to the hands or whatever. But the hardest problems have been solved. And I can see how, if I was actually writing the story, I was being a little bit meaner to GM than I might other. I might use a photo like this. Is that you think that that's what people want in the markets that you're in? Uh, definitively. So um, we, we started, first of all, I mean, generative AI did not just burst onto the scene. It's been something that, that has been around for years. Uh, NVIDIA, our partner, actually launched the first uh, GANs model from text to image. And uh, so we knew it was coming. And, uh, and, and our question to our customers was, you know, how are you going to use it? What do you need? And we, we create services for our customers that, that really allow them to create at a higher level that save them time save them money, and eliminate their IP risk. Yeah. And that last piece is critical within, within AI. Everything that we heard from our customers was, we want to use this technology. And that could vary from media customers to agency customers to corporate customers. They want to unlock some of their creativity through these tools, but they need to make sure that they aren't in violation of, of third-party intellectual property. And that can vary around the globe. I mean, you know, if you have an image and it produces an image of a third-party brand or somebody of name and likeness like Kelsey or Swift, you know, that's a problem. But there's much more nuanced problems in, in intellectual property, like showing an image of the Empire State Building. You could actually get sued for that. Tattoos, 
or copyrighted. So fireworks can actually be copyrighted. That smiley firework that shows up, Gucci Brothers actually own that, that copyright. So there's a lot of things that we baked in here to make sure that our customers could use this and be absolutely safe. And then we actually put our indemnification around that so that um, if there are any issues, which we're confident there won't be, um, we'll stand behind that. There's a, a flip side to that, right? So you know all the training data is yours. We had a, asked a bunch of provenance questions of Kevin earlier. You know the provenance, mm-hmm. right? And that, the next thing that enables you to do is say, okay, we're going to go pay our creators. How does that work? What's the actual formula for saying, we generated this image, someone paid us for it, and now upstream of that, we're going to pay you however many cents. Right. I think, I think Kevin talked a little bit, I was getting mic'd up in the back, but I think he talked a little bit about attribution and whether the technologies exist in order to do that. Um, in our case, at a pixel level, I think the question was earlier around audio. Um, the answer is right now, those those models don't exist. We tested out a bunch and, and didn't find them to, to be um, you know, sufficient in order to do that attribution. So the way we're doing it is um, we're doing it off of two things. What proportion of the training set does your content represent? And then how has that content performed in our licensing world over time? It's kind of a proxy for quality uh, and quantity. So it's kind of a blend of the two. Yeah, so you're just doing sort of a fixed model. Yeah, and we'll evaluate that over time. If we find fairer ways of doing this, we'll certainly embrace it. We looked for for technology that might might do that, but at this point in time, I I think it falls short of the goal. The dynamic here is really interesting, right? So your customers want this. I I need to generate a, a stock photo or something for an ad campaign. Instead of hiring a photographer, I might go to the Getty tool. Will the Getty tool be cheaper? Will it undercut the hiring of the real photographer? I think that's yet to play out. I think um, you know it's an entirely different model. It's a cost per call type model, generative model. Um, and you know you played with the tool. I think this is a very good tool in terms of how it walks you through the prompts and what you can get out of it, quality from the start, gives you high res from the start. So, but it's work. And I think comparing and contrasting that to licensing pre-shot is is something that you know we've done some time studies with customers and things along those lines. And I think it varies. Ultimately, again, we try to save our customers time because that is the most expensive thing that they're applying. And I think in some cases, this can be very creative, but not necessarily the most time efficient. And I think our pre-shot in many cases can be much more authentic and much more efficient because you know, you're searching, you're not paying for that search. Um, you're getting a, a wide variety of, of content back with real people, real locations. And in many cases, brands care about that, but that can be a much more efficient process. So I think it, it really, we're going to find out uh, yeah. over time. Getty's a unique company in space. You actually employ a bunch of photographers. You send them to dangerous places. You create a bunch of news photos. Are you hearing from your own creatives that this is a problem? Um, I, I wouldn't say that we're hearing from our own creatives that you know AI is a problem. I, I think we represent over half a million photographers worldwide. So within that, you can imagine within this audience, there's a lot of different you know perspectives and, and points of view, and take that and multiply it times you know thousand, and and you're going to get even more. So it, it, what we hear is a lot of concern about intellectual property. Um, we hear concerns that, that ultimately things are being trained on their intellectual property and, and, and there's value being created for that, right? Either through subscription services or through other uh, you know, models. And ultimately, people want that to be solved for. But what we hear from our customers is, that, again, they want to create and they want to use these tools. And so our point of view from the get-go has always been, um, we believe AI can have a constructive benefit for the society as a whole, um, but it needs to account for certain things. And, and so we've always looked for transparency and trading data. We believe you know, 
creators and IP owners have the right to decide whether their, their material is trained on. We believe the creators of these models shouldn't be covered by something like uh, Section 230, that you should have some skin in the game and, and take on some liability if you're creating these things and putting them out there. Uh, again, our, our tool is one that, you know, we, we were very conscious as a member of the media. The last thing we wanted to do was produce a tool that actually could produce deepfakes. Yeah. And so your, your Taylor Swift and, and Kelsey example is one you're going to struggle because it doesn't know who Taylor Swift is and it doesn't know who Kelsey is. <laughs> it's and the it only, only thing in the world that doesn't know who Taylor Swift yeah. is. Yeah, it's exactly right. And that's intentional. <laughs> and, I, and, and I'd like to think that, you know, Taylor Swift will appreciate that. <laughs> um, what are we all working for is for Taylor Swift. Exactly. Inside of that, right, there's, there's some big ideas there. So I mean, my brief career as a copyright lawyer and my longer career as a journalist, I find that no one actually cares about copyright law. They don't care about the IP. They care about the money, right? But the money right now is downstream of some very thorny copyright issues. You heard Kevin say, you know, he thinks, Microsoft thinks, that all this is built on a, a fair use argument that will eventually succeed or be modified in some way. You are, in many ways, on the other side of this. You're suing stability for having trained on a bunch of Getty images. If that, if you win, like maybe this whole edifice falls down. Have you thought about the stakes of that lawsuit? Yeah, I think, it, I think it, there are high stakes around that lawsuit. We brought it for a reason. We fundamentally believe that IP owners should have a right to have their uh, content, whether, whether it's used in training sets or not. And they should have the right to be compensated um, if that's their choice. And uh, I, don't, I don't buy the argument that Kevin put out there that you know I read Moby Dick and, and therefore, first of all, these computers are not humans. Secondly, they're actually corporate entities that are making money, to your point. And in many cases, they're targeting existing markets with these technologies. Um, I think the Warhol case, I mean, not to, again, we're maybe That's, a little more... This is more, why we're here. I'm right we're a little bit more IP geeks than, than others, but I think the Warhol case... Why do you think we played Prince in front of Kevin? Yeah, I was, I was wondering, what did I get to? <laughs> it was supposed to be the Bengals, I think. Uh, interesting. I think that's going to play out. I think we're on the right. I think a world that doesn't reward... Uh, investment intellectual property is a pretty sad world. Yeah. Whether that's music, whether that's editorial journalism, uh, whether that's imagery, I believe we want to see more creators, not less. And I think it's actually interesting. Chris was on the stage last night from Runway doing some demos. And I think Chris's point of view is one that we share. We want more creators because of this technology, not less. And I think that's a great world, Yeah. right? So how do we enable, and that's what we put this tool out there. We put this tool out not to disintermediate creators. We put this tool out there to enable creators. So the users of our tool are creators. And I think it's going to allow them to create more in, insightful and innovative ways. But I think others are, 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 in some cases, pointing these technologies directly at the creators themselves, or in some cases, coders. Or, and, and I don't think that is the society that I want to necessarily push towards. We have to take a quick break. We'll be back in a minute. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Here's the story of innovation told in five words. Try, explore, connect, pivot, transform. See what happened there? As soon as Connect entered the story, innovation became achievable. That's why Deloitte works with clients and tech alliances to bring together the people, ideas, and technologies to overcome, solve, and of course, transform. Connect to what matters for innovation. 
Start at Deloitte.com slash US slash innovate. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome back. We're talking to Getty Images CEO Craig Peters about AI. So obviously you're in litigation with stability. There are lots of other companies that are potentially training on Getty Images. Lots of other companies that are just out there crawling the web and training on that. Yep. Are you in productive conversations with the Microsofts, the Googles, the OpenAIs? We, we are in productive conversations. Um, you know, whether they result in something that's productive, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of... First, I think there's a PR bullshit layer of like, all right, I'm going to join like this group and, and I'm going to try to cleanse my reputation because I'm a member of that. Of course, I don't implement anything around it. I don't do anything. I just, you know, cite the fact that my corporate name is on that website. I think that's not real engagement. Um, I think we can have different points of view on law, but I think one of the things that I, I hope our model proves is that good quality ingredients in creates a better output. It creates a more socially responsible output and it creates one that I think businesses will adopt. So yeah, we're, we're in conversations there, but we aren't going to move off of the fundamental point, which is we believe if you're an IP owner, you should have the right to decide whether your content's used in training and you should be compensated for that right. And, uh, and, and that doesn't mean a de minimis check. Like it, it's not just a, you know, it's fundamental to these tools. I look at other, we've talked about a lot about music uh, at the conference generally. Again, I mean, I'm a nerd for this stuff, but broadly, the music industry has developed its own private copyright law because the courts are a coin flip in fair use arguments, like crazy coin flips in fair use arguments. And so the music industry is just like, we're going to make our own deals on the side. We'll have our own norms. My favorite example of this, by the way, is uh, the publishing rights for the Thong song by Cisco are owned by Ricky Martin's songwriter because Cisco just whispers the words live in the Vita Loca. Like, that's not. That's, if you apply that standard to AI, like none of these companies are making money, right? But the music industry has developed that set of norms. Do you see that happening here where you're going to need the courts to figure it out for you? Or that there will be an industry set of norms around licensing and deal-making because the courts are unreliable? My hope is that we will not need to rely on the courts. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can't say that's the case across the board. I think there are some very responsible technology organizations that, that are having dialogue, that are willing to figure out solutions. They understand the stakes at play. And I think you can have those conversations. I think there are others that are you know, just kind of off doing you know, what they want to do and damn the consequences. Damn the consequences for IP ownership, damn the consequences for, you know, for deep fakes and, and what that means to, to, you know, press and, and, and facts and, uh, and democracy. So I, I hope for the solution that we can all agree on it. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the case, which is why we not only invested a ton of time and resources <laughs> to launch a, a, a yeah. product that we think actually proves that you can do this responsibly, um, which one of, by the way, a lot of those actors said, well, you could never do this. You could never get 
access to licensed data. So we didn't even try because it's an impossible thing, which again, I call bullshit on. Um, and I think this tool is a big bullshit on that statement. <laughs> um, but, you know, we launched, you know, we're spending millions of dollars to go on the other route because we don't have 100% confidence that we're going to be able to get there, um, we hope. And, uh, and we'll engage with anybody that wants to. But similarly, we needed to have that other track. Two more themes I want to uh, touch on. We can take questions too if you want to start lining up. You and I have talked a lot about authenticity. You mentioned deep fakes. Getty does generate some of the most important photographs of our time. Historically, this is the role that Getty plays in our, our culture. You've said to me that just marking that stuff as authentic is not good enough, right? That there's, there's another problem here. Describe what you think that other problem is. Well, I, I think there's a problem where you can't discern what is authentic. And, and in a world where generative AI can produce content at scale, right? And you can disseminate that content on, on a breadth and reach and, and on time scale that is is immense, you know, there's that potential that, that ultimately authenticity gets crowded out. Now, I think our brand helps cut through. I think our reputation helps cut through. I do think ultimately um, that has value, but I do worry about a world where, you know, I think this past year, I heard the stat that there were more AI images produced than were shot on a camera. That's a staggering thing about where we are in the adoption curve of AI. And so you just play that out on an exponential basis. And then you, again, you think about a world where there are nefarious, you know, uh, individuals and organizations and, and institutions. And that, that worries me. Like, you know, our newsroom lit up when the Pentagon Im image was put out there. Is it real? You know, and, and we're getting calls, you know, asking for, you know, us to validate that. Now let's put that into an election in 2024. Do you think that just marking cryptographically, you're in the content authenticity initiative group, right? We're in the discussion. We haven't adopted it, to be quite frank. We're not sure that that is the right solution right now. It, it, it First of all, it puts the onus and the investment on the people creating original content, authentic content, rather than on the platforms and the generative tools that are producing generative content. And we fundamentally think that's a little bit backwards. The generative tools should should be investing in order to, to create the right uh, solutions around that. And in the current view, it's it's largely in the metadata, which is easily stripped. So you guys are a customer of ours. You use our imagery. You strip our metadata immediately when you put it in your CMS because it's lighter and page loads and everything else. So which makes sense because you're competing for SEO and everything else that you need to do. So you strip it. And so I think what we need to look and and this is where you know engaging with Kevin and Microsoft and their team. You know, we're really encouraged by the pledges that they made to the White House in order to identify generative content because we want to do the exact same thing, but we want to do it in a way that, that really gets at the core. Are you taking any particular steps ahead of the 2024 election, knowing that you're going to compete for real photographs, real images in a world of generative AI? We are, um, I would say, but it's, it's, it's one, and we're talking with the Associated Press. We're talking with Ajon's Friends Press. We're, talk, you know, we're talking with our partners and our competitors about how do we go about doing this. And I wouldn't say that while we're taking steps, we don't have perfect solutions. And again, that date isn't moving. And we're getting closer and closer <laughs> uh, to it. I think one side, you never know. <laughs> well, I don't think the elections are going to change. But <laughs> but it's it's one that, I mean, I, I think this is one of those things where, you know, putting technology out in, into the world uh, under the, you know, let's just, you know, move fast and break things. Yeah. 
you know, we're playing with bigger stakes here. Last big thing question, and then we'll, we'll go to the audience here. When Craig and I first started talking, one of the things you and I discussed was the market for photography changed inevitably forever when the internet arrived, right? And more people could create and our distribution platforms change. The pricing collapsed. I know a lot of professional photographers who their careers evaporated with the advent of the internet effectively. Does this feel like that? And you've built a business, right? In response to that, that you've changed the business. Is this that same moment, do you think? Is it the same level of change? I think it's clearly a lot of change. I think uh, what we do um, has value. And uh, I think, you know, whether that's a tool that, that can enable creativity or that's content that is highly authentic, that can engage an end audience in a meaningful way and, and move them, if you're a media company, move them to, to understand an issue. Or, you know, if you're a, a corporation, uh, move them to actually, you know, engage with your brand or your products. I don't think that goes away. I think it, it, this puts different challenges in that it's actually fun to navigate and figure out. Um, I think the most important thing in that will allow photographers, videographers, writers, is that we enable more creators. Like that's the end goal. And if we do that, then I think the world's a great place. And I think companies like Getty Images will thrive in that. And, and those that work with us will thrive within that. Um, I think if we try to eliminate creators, uh, I think it's a sad world and, and I think it'll be challenging for our business and, and for those that try to make a living. We have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with some great questions from our code audience with Getty Images CEO, Craig Peters. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back with some great questions from the Code Conference audience for Craig Peters. Actually, let's start over here. Introduce yourself, please. Andrew Sussman. Um, so with copyright and patents both stemming from the same part of the Constitution, Congress shall promote the useful arts and sciences, dot, dot, dot. Yet patents over the years have seen a narrowing, a constriction in the exclusive rights that are being granted. Yet copyright has seen largely only an expansion, whether it be how long they, they last, whether it's what do they cover. And in this case, it seems like some of the creative expression aspects are being wrapped into what are more procedural or data elements. Like if you were to take an, uh, a text or an image and convert it into a series of numbers, where is the creative expression in that? So just curious as to if, the, if in connection with Congress revisiting what the scope of copyright includes, should they also be looking at how broad copyright is as a general nature? My man, match my own heart. Well, first off, I think the Copyright Office right now is in an active open submission uh, for input on AI and the degree to which copyright is or is not applied. And obviously, we have we have a point of view on that, and, and we'll put a brief in and, and give input into that. But I, I think copyright needs to be something that constantly evolves. The world constantly evolves, and and I think that's 
you know, ultimately something that I, I think regulatory institutions, government, legislative, I think evolve at a slower pace than technology. So they tend to lag, but I do think they are doing their best to go through and, and be contemplative about, you know, how does this move the needle or not on, on copyright? And, uh, and I think they're bringing all the voices in together in order to do that. And I think they'll come out in, in what is a reasonable space, I think. But my, my point is, is that copyright needs to evolve. And uh, if we, we want it just to stay stagnant, it's going to ultimately not match up to the world that we're living in. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, but that evolution is critical. Uh, Jay Peters with The Verge. I know the new AI tool is designed not to create images of real people, but what if it does? What if it makes a Joe Biden? What if it makes a Donald Trump? What if it makes a Pope? What, what does Getty do in that situation? It can't. It doesn't know who they are. Is there so, any way for somebody to engineer a prompt, though, that gets like a nope. pretty close approximation? Because it You're doesn't sure. know who they are. It really doesn't. So if you go on Bing and you do Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, it will give you somebody wearing a Chiefs uniform that kind of looks like Kelsey. And, and you won't be able to type uh, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, but just do Swift and Kelsey and you'll get an output. That's because it was trained on the internet. It was trained on our content and others that sit out on that internet. Um, therefore, it knows who they are. This content was trained in a universe where that doesn't exist. So it really does not know. Now, we put in prompt engineering, we put things in there that can inform you that that's not something that this tool will respond to. But even if we miss that prompt because we didn't think of that in terms of the architecture, it won't produce that output. And unless we open up it to train on other content, um, it cannot produce uh, those outcomes. And I think that's, again, thinking about how you build these tools so that they can really be beneficial into businesses and corporations and at the same time be responsible to society. I think it's a really important element. Now, I think what we can do is we can take third-party intellectual property where they actually have the ownership rights and then we can do custom fitting or what is custom training of that uh, along with NVIDIA to, to produce a model that's bespoke to that IP. Um, but that's the case, again, where that IP will be owned or have the necessary permissions in order to bring that to the table. So we'll, we'll be doing that with brands and companies over the coming months and years in order to produce some of those. But the fundamental piece here is most large language models, you know, generative models, because they're trained on open data sets, under the notion that that is fair use, they know a lot. And they have to now do prompt engineering in order to restrict it. And you know that's like yeah. whack-a-mole, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Miles Fisher, appreciate your candid responses. You talk about big picture enabling more creators, and that's for the greater good. So agree with that. At the advent now of deep fakes, you know, a lot of the academic think pieces have compared the criticism to the advent of the camera in the mid-1800s. Creators are left with nothing. The artistry of painting, all of that rendered mute. I'd just like to know personally, what do you think makes an exceptional photograph? That's a good question. It's, to me, it's the one that moves you. All right. So there's, there's a level of photography that I think, you know, whether it's computer generated or otherwise, it's the one that makes you stop, think, react, have emotion, engage. That's, that's a great photo. Whether that's in news, whether that's in sport, entertainment, or in a creative moment with the brand, like I, I think those are the things that talent truly can express. And that's why I believe 
in creative talent because I don't think the expertise that goes into, you know, just let's, let's take what people might call stock for a second. If you knew what went into producing a great piece of imagery that actually got your attention, these are people that are, that are understanding how to bring empathy, trust, integrity into photos in a new way that you haven't thought about before. And they can grab that attention that on an audience. That, that's tough to do. It's easy. I, I kind of sometimes equate our business to kind of like fast fashion in the creative sense, like because we're constantly having to do something new because somebody else is going to knock off what we just did yesterday. So, but that's what makes photography great at its core. It's something that makes you stop, think, emote, engage. Well, that's a great place to end it. That was a great question. Thank you so much for making my pleasure. Great to have you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Craig Peters for talking to me at Code. Thank the audience at Code for coming and asking really great questions. And of course, thank you all for listening to Decoder. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of the show. You can email us at decoder at theverge.com. I do read all the emails. Or you can hit me up directly on threads. I'm at Reckless1280. We also have a TikTok. Check it out. It's at DecoderPod. It's a lot of fun. If you like Decoder, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you really love the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by Kate Cox and Nick Statt. It was edited by Amanda Rose Smith. The Decoder music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.